Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Scott McCartney is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney. Pratt & Whitney is committed to working smarter, cleaner, and greener today for a more sustainable tomorrow. Learn more at prattwhitney.com. And by Dewhop. Dewhop is revolutionizing travel connectivity. Learn how to unlock unlimited connections simply at dohop.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com. Happy New Year and welcome to Airlines Confidential. I'm Ben Baldanza, wishing everyone a great start to 2024. I hope everyone's holiday travel went well and that this year will be filled with joy, prosperity, and not much chaos around election time. <laughs> Happy New Year, Scott. And a Happy New Year to you, Ben. I have high hopes for 2024, for a solid economy, for more peace around the world, more moments of joy, and medical breakthroughs. And I'll share your, your hope for no chaos around the election. We do have some news to discuss, Ben, and some predictions to make for the coming year. And we have an interesting listener question to start 2024 off with. I really believe it's going to be a great year, an exciting year. Of course, every time I think it's going to be a routine, stable, easy year for airlines, the opposite happens. So buckle up. One thing I do know for sure it won't be a dull year, as much as I'd like it to be. It was a fairly dull holiday travel period, thankfully. I say dull in the news sense. There wasn't much for TV reporters to get excited about. No piles of luggage as backdrops to their stand-ups. No airports filled with stranded travelers the day before Christmas. And there were storms and weather challenges. So bravo, airline industry. Airlines said they were ready. And it turns out they were. The biggest Bravo has to go to Southwest Airlines, which was under the glare of media, regulator, and customer scrutiny. And ours as well, right? Southwest trumpeted loudly that it had fixed its problems that caused the previous year's massive nine-day meltdown. This year, Southwest got tested and the new fixes worked. The biggest test was Chicago Midway, which was below visibility minimums for 18 hours. That means no takeoffs and landings. And by the way, Chicago Midway does not have any Category 3 runways, so the minimums for visibility are roughly two to two and a half times as high as they are across town at Chicago O'Hare. Same weather, you can land at O'Hare, but not at Midway. It's a really tough challenge for Southwest since Chicago is a major city for them plus a major connecting point, plus a major crew base. It had all the ingredients for a repeat, right? At one point, the forecasts were for visibility to increase above minimums and Southwest launch flights accordingly. Visibility did improve as forecast, and then it declined again, and the airport was essentially shut down an hour after it restarted. That's a tough curveball for airline operations, but Southwest handled the midway shutdown well and recovered quickly. Yes, flights were canceled. Yes, Christmas travelers were inconvenienced. 
Yes, there was snow in Denver too and storms on the East Coast, but that's air travel in the winter and airlines handled it well. How well? Ben, you got a Goldman Sachs report with some interesting data showing the improved performance. Yep, it was a dull Christmas in the sense you meant it, and that's great. Frontier did send a 16-year-old to San Juan who is going to Ohio. That was an interesting one, though. So, Ben, the Goldman Sachs numbers were really interesting. The industry cancellation rate averaged 0.6% from Thursday, December 21st to Tuesday, December 26th. Now, that was a little bit higher than the average for essentially the the fourth quarter. They looked at September through December. That was only 0.3%. But 0.6% cancellation rate, that's really good. And we'll take that through any busy holiday period with storms. The highest single-day cancellation rate was only 1.6% on Saturday, December 24th, Christmas Eve. So that's a huge improvement over what happened last year when the industry cancellation rate averaged 12% over the same period, 12% compared to 0.6%. Southwest cancellation rate over that measured period last year was 35%, right? That was the national scandal, 35% over that same period. When you look at Southwest this year, it had a cancellation rate of 1.8%. Used to be the standard was anything under 2% for the year was great. So 1.8% at a busy holiday period with a whole lot of storms and weather. We'll take that. Good job. Absolutely. Now, you know, Scott, Southwest paid a huge fine recently for that Christmas last year. And something about that bothered me Mm -hmm. because they took it seriously. They invested a lot. And clearly what they did worked. I'm not saying the government shouldn't have fined them. But at least I think they should be able to reduce the fine by the amount they spent to make it not happen again. They did to some extent. Uh, They also included some additional vouchers that they're going to give to people who were affected. The the net effect of of the fine, and it's going to be paid out over five years, is not really materially significant to Southwest. What bothered me about it was the government really wanted to run up a big number, right? Even though there were those credits uh, for compensation to customers and and what they had already spent. Now, I don't think they got credit for all the de-icing spending and all that you were talking about uh, as much, but there, there was some in there. What really bothered me about it was the timing, first of all. It came a year later. It came at the start of the holiday travel period when every TV reporter is out there looking for a headline. And there it was. And there was video 
of the Secretary of Transportation trying to be the champion of the traveling public. If he really wants to be the champion of the traveling public, he needs to fix the air traffic control system because the air traffic control system has caused far more delays and far more cancellations, and the government doesn't find itself. Uh, I really think this was political grandstanding, not good public policy. Um, but, uh, you know, the, at the end of the day, the Transportation Department needs to get its own house in order um, rather than running around bashing airlines. I think that's right. And going back to Midway versus O'Hare, that's terrible that Midway doesn't have a Category 3 runway. Mm-hmm. But it's also a reality of serving alternative airports. Yeah. O'Hare, DFW, LAX are major city airports that get resources. If you decide to base in Midway, Long Beach, Love Field, or something, it can be a great strategy, but you're going to pay some kind of infrastructure costs to do that. Yeah, absolutely. The Category 3 thing is interesting. The the midway runways are shorter than 6,000 feet. Um, I I think, and and I'm sure there are listeners who can either verify this or or correct this, I I think it's it's more a question of runway length um, than it is midway lacking uh, precision landing technology. I don't think there's an easy fix to that you would have to make the runways longer and it's in a very urban congested area where you really don't have any real yeah, estate. Yeah, you'd have to yeah. destroy a neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So what you say is, you know, you're absolutely right. It's the secondary airport. Southwest knows there's not a Category 3 um, runway there. And um, and they have to schedule and plan accordingly. Um, and you know, last year they didn't, uh, and this year they did. Um, and so that, but that is the reality of, of serving an airport like that. Great job by all the airlines this holiday. Well, another good sign for airlines, Ben, Hollywood, a recent movie, What Happens Later, starring Meg Ryan and David Duchovny, makes getting stuck overnight at the airport as the new rom-com fortuitous matchmaking setting. Ryan and Duchovny play ex-lovers who cross paths when a bomb cyclone leaves them stranded overnight. Somehow they seem to be the only ones stranded in the airport, even though there's this terrible weather. So they steal liquor at an airport bar, take a golf cart for a spin, and dance their way to rom-com reconciliation. Not the experience most people have stuck overnight at an airport, but good to see Hollywood making the experience sexy. Unfortunately for airlines and airports, the movie has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of only 28% approval. That's probably because people know that's not what happens (laughs) when you get stuck. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Scott... 
the 2009 George Clooney movie, Up in the Air, was great for airlines and even better for frequent flyer programs. Yeah. (laughs) But there probably is no believable way to make getting stranded at an airport exciting. Yeah, isn't that the truth? And Scott, I saw a report on TV this week that said, if you're looking to find new love, skip the bar and go to an airport. (laughs) And they said, that's where you find single travelers looking to strike up conversations. Perfect. We're going to bring sexy back to air travel, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So one other news note. Before the holidays, Reuters reported that the U.S. Transportation Department is scrutinizing those very frequent flyer programs that are so sexy for potential deceptive and unfair practices. This does kind of sound like dating, right? It's part of the agency's effort to step up oversight of the airline industry, or at least to appear to step up oversight of the airline industry. Reuters said that the DOT has been meeting in recent weeks with passenger airlines to discuss loyalty programs, including transparency practices when booking award tickets, transferability of airline miles, and notice given before making changes. Clearly the biggest problem facing the DOT Yes. right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And by the way, Ben, I know the answer to this one. (laughs) Airlines promise big and then under-deliver with frequent flyer programs. Memo to DOT, this is not new. It's been happening for more than a decade. Miles and points get devalued. Perks like upgrades become an unattainable illusion for most, and yet people love the programs because for the most part, you still get something for nothing. That's right. And people know the rules and they sign up. Nothing is more attractive in terms of reward than free travel or free upgrade. And so people get and use airline credit cards and join these programs, and they know they don't get the rewards every time, but they get them often enough. Well, Airlines Confidential wouldn't exist without our sponsors. We want to thank Doohop, which is revolutionizing travel connectivity. Doohop is a travel technology provider enabling airlines to expand their networks, offer more connectivity, create additional partnerships, and focus on improving the customer experience with more offers, services, and travel options. Airlines benefit from generating additional revenue, from lower costs, and from maintaining full customer ownership. Plus, in the event of travel disruptions, Doohop works with airlines and offers assistance in helping passengers reach their final destination. Visit dohop.com. That's D-O-H-O-P.com. And we want to thank Pratt & Whitney. At Pratt & Whitney, the pursuit of more sustainable aviation is foundational 
For decades, Pratt & Whitney has been at the forefront of revolutionary advancements in aircraft propulsion technology. And by working smarter, cleaner, and greener today, they are committed to supporting the airline industry in its goal of reaching zero CO2 emissions by 2050. Learn more about Pratt & Whitney's smarter technology, cleaner fuel, and greener business at prattwhitney.com. Okay, Ben, now it's time for our 2024 predictions. I'll start with the one you can't talk about. I predict the federal judge in Boston will, any day now, rule against the Justice Department's attempt to block the JetBlue Spirit merger, but he will come up with a Solomon-like decision and try to split the baby in two and please, or really displease, both sides. He'll require asset disposal beyond what JetBlue has already offered in order to try and preserve more ultra-low fare air service. That will give justice something to declare victory over and allow JetBlue and Spirit to move forward. It will also bolster the argument that JetBlue should pay less to Spirit shareholders for the deal, not only because Spirit stock is so depressed after a year of really lousy results, but also because JetBlue will be forced to buy a smaller Spirit. The big winner will be Frontier, which should be in a position to pick up Spirit assets on the East Coast. And by the way, I'll also predict that the Alaska-Hawaiian merger will close without a big brouhaha. Interestingly, Hawaiian did say in a filing that it is open to other bids. It kind of has to say that. Alaska is paying a rich price. And it's interesting that there just doesn't appear to be any other interest out there unless something pops up quickly here in the new year. I think with Hawaii, most airlines think they can get what they need on their own. Okay, Ben. What's your first prediction for the new year? My first prediction is that for the next 12 months, we won't be talking about pilot shortages. The combination of most pilot deals being done and most airlines pushing out aircraft deliveries and trimming schedules means there won't be the pressure that the industry has seen in the last couple of years. I think that's a good one. And, you know, it seems like the higher pay is already having an effect, attracting more people into the business. Yeah, that's right. And it'll be nice to not hear the pilot shortage for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, my next prediction goes back to, and you're going to say, <laughs> yeah, of course, Scott, <laughs> goes back to an issue I'd like to scream about as much as I can, the costly and dangerous air traffic controller shortage and absurd modern equipment deficit. And I predict that new FAA chief Mike Whitaker will make progress and propose big changes and the problem will be that Congress will stall any rescue plan. 
Mike is already using a blue ribbon panel model quite effectively, I think. He had six really smart, experienced people look at safety in air traffic control after the spate of close calls, and they quickly delivered a comprehensive, smart report that provides the building blocks for fixes. Now he's appointed a panel to study controller fatigue. How much is too much? What's the current state of the workforce? What do we need to do to specifically reduce burnout and fatigue? Smart move, I think. Next, I might suggest a blue ribbon panel on controller training. Do we do a good job of that? Are there other methods and tools that would get new controllers up to speed faster? Are we attracting the right candidates? Do other nations have better methods of doing this? There are a lot of important questions there, which I think a really smart look at how we do this would be beneficial. And I think he needs to do the same on equipment modernization. Then take all that and propose a national emergency plan to fix air traffic control. Side note here, I'd love to see Whitaker use the same approach for pilot training as well as controller training. Let's study how many hours you really need to be safe as a first officer. Let's study the effectiveness of simulator time. Let's study whether there are paths to accumulating hours that would make it more affordable for kids to become big jet drivers. Should there be lower standards for regionals or scheduled charter operators like JSX or for cargo? Let's get some real answers. But I digress. On the air traffic control crisis, Congress should be all over a Whitaker fix-it plan in a bipartisan fashion. This is not a Republican or a Democratic issue. They all travel a lot. Voters all travel. This is money well spent since delays and cancellations are costing the economy. And yet, I predict even on this issue, Congress will be incompetent. Let's hope not. That would be a disaster. But at least we'll know what we need to do and who's keeping the fix from happening. So what exactly are you predicting? That (laughs) nothing will happen or something? Well, both. I think I think we'll know a lot more if if Mike Whitaker keeps going with his blue ribbon panels. But I think even when we know what needs to be done, uh, Congress won't take action. And I think that's um, that's really going to be um, harmful for air travel and, and even dangerous, because I think, there, you know, we it, it may it may take an accident to to really get the wheels in Washington moving. Well, let's hope that's not the case. But you're right. And I would have been disappointed if you didn't make this one of your predictions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my second prediction is that we're not yet done with consolidation. Mm. And my prediction is there'll be at least one more deal announced this year. Interesting. The deals we saw this year weren't small tactical deals in the sense is they're both related to the fact that size matters in this industry. 
Buying gets smarter. Scheduling gets easier. Crew management improves. And being bigger is the way you get better as an airline. And with four huge guys, the rest of the world is scrambling to say, how do we compete? So at least one more this year. (laughs) Well, if I had to guess who it might be, I think it would involve Allegiant and maybe Avello and uh, some of the and maybe Frontier, because the low-cost sector is going to need more heft to compete. What do you think? That makes some sense. It could also be two of Mesa, SkyWest, and Republic. Mm -hmm. And maybe driven for them, you know, they've had such a hard time with the pilot shortage, although that that seems to be easing for them, but still um, there has been a lot of reduction of regional jet flying, so that might make sense. That's right. Well, let's see if we're right about any of these. All right, I've got one more. There will be a new holder of the title World's Largest Airline next year. Airline size is measured in revenue passenger miles. One RPM is one passenger flown one mile. And we use this measure because it's not just how many seats you fly or it's not how many passengers you fly. It also matters how far you fly them. The incumbent American Airlines has lost ground to United and Delta. And for the first nine months of the year, and when I looked up these numbers, Ben, I was really surprised. For the first nine months of the year, United flew 183.8 billion revenue passenger miles. Delta flew 174.6 billion. And American dropped all the way to number three at 173.6 billion. Now that's only for nine months. American needs to have carried a lot of people a long way in the fourth quarter to overtake Delta and United. But I think the reality here is that American has lost ground in New York and Los Angeles, our two biggest cities, and American has lost ground in Asia, where United and Delta are stronger, and American has lost ground in Latin America, where Delta stole the LATAM partnership. Latin America used to be a huge strength for American. Imagine the satisfaction for Scott Kirby to have left American and gone to United and, if it plays out as predicted, turn United into the world's largest airline. Absolutely. And it's certainly trending that way. Part of the answer for them, too, is the massive upgauge they're doing, putting full-size jets on what used to be RJs. Mm. So, Ben... We're going to start the new year with a mailbag question that I absolutely love because I kind of made a career writing about legroom. Mary from Atlanta asks, why don't airlines measure actual legroom instead of seat pitch? Mary writes, hello, Ben and Scott. I love your show and continue to learn so much about the airline industry. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with the world. 
My question is about legroom on airlines. I usually fly Delta main cabin, but recently I flew Southwest out of Atlanta. I was pleasantly surprised by the amount of legroom on Southwest 737 MAX 8. Southwest cabin appears to have much more legroom than Delta main cabin and about the same amount of legroom as Delta Comfort Plus. I haven't flown other carriers recently, so I don't know if my experience would be similar on American and United. I checked to see if I could find anything published that compares actual legroom on all airlines. The only metric I could find was seat pitch, which is defined as the distance from any point on one seat to the exact same point on the seat in front or behind it. I also learned that this measurement isn't a true indicator of legroom as the thickness of the seat back and headrests and the placement of the seat pockets could inflate or decrease the pitch numbers. Why doesn't the industry adjust the metric to measure actual legroom from tailbone to seat pocket in front of you? That is what travelers value. Perhaps I will start packing a tape measure and submit my findings, LOL. Thanks for your thoughts on the topic. P.S. My findings show that Delta Comfort Plus 737-900ER seat pitch is 34 inches and main cabin pitch is 30 to 31, while Southwest 737 MAX 8 all rows seat pitch is between 32 and 33. While this doesn't exactly define legroom, my assumptions appear to be on track that Southwest is more generous with legroom. Well, Mary, I do still travel with a tape measure. And the short answer to your question is that seat pitch, which really is the amount of space allotted to each row of seats, is what matters to airlines. The cabin has only so many inches. Each row takes up so many inches. Do the math and you can quickly see how many rows you can get on the airplane. For airlines, it's all about how many seats there are to sell, not about legroom. And if you reduce seat pitch, you can get another row or two on the plane. And so they have. You are correct that the thickness of the seat back affects legroom. It used to be that seats had a lot of cushioning, but those days are gone. Now airplane seats have flexible mesh backs, much like office chairs. Comfort is debatable, but thinness is undeniable. The problem for passengers has been that airlines claimed those inches that they created with slimmer seats for themselves instead of leaving that space for passengers. So in theory, rows can be closer together, and since your butt is further back, legroom might be the same. In practice, your head is closer to the head in front of you, and that makes many people feel more uncomfortable. I did stories showing that packing more people closer together, even though legroom was technically the same, led to a lot more discomfort. Your analysis is correct. Southwest at 32 to 33 inches per row has more space than Delta's main cabin on most of their aircraft and almost as much as Delta's comfort rows. And Delta has many planes with higher seat pitch than other airlines, i.e. American and United, and certainly some of the discounters. The exception would be JetBlue, which has greater seat pitch than Southwest. Southwest has kept the number of passengers per aircraft type consistent, so when the seats get slimmer and cabins get bigger because of the design changes Boeing has made, Southwest has given much of that space to passengers, not so at other airlines. I hope that makes sense. As you note, this is really important to passengers, 
It's really important to airlines too, but for opposite reasons. Great analysis, Scott. There's two more things to consider also. If the person in front reclines, Mm -hmm. your legroom decreases. You feel more crunched. Mm -hmm. And so you can't say the seat has this much legroom unless you assume the seat in front of you won't recline. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I'm five six with a 30-inch inseam. Every seat has more legroom <laughs> for me than someone who's six feet with longer legs. The nice thing about seat pitch is it doesn't matter who's sitting there or what anyone else is doing. So while I agree, it's not really legroom. There's lots of inertia for that metric. Yep, that's right. And I'm 6'1", and it does matter a lot to me. (laughs) Yep. Well, that's it for another episode of Airlines Confidential. We'll be back next week with much more. And have a great New Year celebration. And be safe. So long, everybody. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.